Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Part the second. Chapter 14 of Dick Sands, the Boy Captain. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alex C. Talander, Davis, California. Dick Sands, the Boy Captain, by Jules Verne. Translated by Ellen E. Frewer. Part the Second, Chapter 14, A Ray of Hope. Mrs. Weldon's first feeling on being left alone was a sense of relief at having a week's respite. She had no trust in Negoro's honesty, but she knew well enough that their marketable value would secure them from any personal danger, and she had time to consider whether some compromise might be effected, by which her husband might be spared the necessity of coming to Gazonde. Upon the receipt of a letter from herself, he would not hesitate for a moment in undertaking the journey, but she entertained no little fear that after all perhaps her own departure might not be permitted. The slightest caprice on the part of Queen Moena would detain her as a captive, whilst as to Nogoro, if one he should get the ransom he wanted, he would take no further pains in the matter. Accordingly, she resolved to make the proposition that she should be conveyed to some point upon the coast, where the bargain could be concluded without Mrs. Walden coming up the country. She had to weigh all the consequences that would follow any refusal on her part to fall in with Nogoro's demands. Of course, he would spend the interval in preparing for his start to America, and when he should come back and find her still hesitating, was it not likely that he would find scope for his revenge in suggesting that she must be separated from her child? The very thought sent a pang through her heart, and she clasped her little boy tenderly to her side. "'What makes you so sad, Mamma? asked Jack. "'I was thinking of your father, my child,' she answered. "'Would you not like to see him?' "'Yes, yes. Is he coming here?' "'No, my boy, he must not come here.' "'Then let us take Dick and Tom and Hercules and go to him.' Mrs. Weldon tried to conceal her tears. "'Have you heard from Papa?' "'No.' "'Then why do you not write to him?' "'Write to him?' repeated his mother. "'This is the very thing I was thinking about.' The child little knew the agitation that was troubling her mind. Meanwhile, Mrs. Weldon had another inducement, which she hardly ventured to own to herself for postponing her final decision. Was it absolutely impossible that her liberation should be effected by some different means altogether? A few days previously she had overheard a conversation outside her hut, and over this she had found herself continually pondering. Alves and one of the Ojiji dealers, discussing the future prospects of their business, mutually agreed in denouncing the efforts that were being made for the suppression of the slave traffic, not only by the cruises on the coast, but by the intrusion of travelers and missionaries into the interior. Alves averred that all these troublesome visitors ought to be exterminated forthwith. But kill one and another crops up, replied the dealer. Yes, their exaggerated reports bring up a swarm of them, said Alves. 
It seemed a subject of bitter complaint that the markets of Nyangwe, Zanzibar, and the Lake District had been invaded by Speke and Grant and others, and although they congratulated each other that the western provinces had not yet been much persecuted, they confessed that now that the travelling epidemic had begun to rage, there was no telling how soon a lot of European and American busybodies might be among them. Thedepo at Kakasange and Bihe had both been visited, and although Kazonde had hitherto been left quiet, there are rumours enough that the continent was to be tramped over from east to west. Footnote. This extraordinary feat was, it is universally known, subsequently accomplished by Cameron. And it may be, continued Alves, that that missionary fellow, Livingston, is already on his way to us. If he comes, there can be but one result. There must be freedom for all slaves in Kazonde. Freedom for the slaves in Kazonde? Though these were the words with which, in connection with Dr. Livingston's name, had arrested Mrs. Walton's attention, and who can wonder that she pondered them over and over again, and ventured to associate them with her own prospects. Here was a ray of hope. The mere mention of Livingston's name in association with his story seems to demand a brief survey of his career. Born on the 19th of March, 1813, David Livingston was the second of six children of a tradesman in the village of Blantyre in Lanarkshire. After two years' training in medicine and theology, he was sent out by the London Missionary Society, and landed at the Cape of Good Hope in 1840, with the intention of joining Moffat in South Africa. After exploring the country of the Bekwanas, he returned to Kuruman, and having mar married Moffat's daughter, proceeded in 1843 to found a mission in the Mabotsa Valley. After four years, he removed to Kolobeng, in the Benchuana district, 220 miles north of Kuruman, whence, in 1849, starting off with his wife, three children, and two friends, Mr. Oswald and Mr. Murray, he discovered Lake Ngami, and returned by descending the course of the Zuga. The opposition of the natives had prevented his proceeding beyond Lake Ngami at his first visit, and he made a second with no better success. In a third attempt, however, he went his way northwards with his family and Mr. Oswell along the Chobe, an affluent of the Zambezi, and after a difficult journey at length reached the district of the Makalolos, of whom the chief, named Sebetuane, joined him at Linyante, the Zambezi itself was discovered at the end of June, 1851, and the doctor returned to the Cape for the purpose of sending his family to England. His next project was to cross the continent obliquely from south to west, but in this expedition he had resolved that he would risk no life but his own. Accompanied, therefore, by only a few natives, he started in the following June, and skirting the Kalahari Desert, entered Litubaruba on the last day of the year. Here he found the Bechuana district, much ravaged by the Boers, the original Dutch colonists, who had formed the population of the Cape before it came into possession of the English. After a fortnight's stay, he proceeded into the heart of the district of the Bamagonatos, and travelled continuously until the 23rd of May, when he arrived at Lignante, and was received with much honour by Sekuletu, who had recently become sovereign of the Makololos. A severe attack of fever detained the traveller here for a period, but he made good use of the enforced rest by studying the manners of the country, and became for the first time sensible of its terrible sufferings in consequence of the slave trade. Descending the course of the Chobe to the Zambezi, he next entered Naniele, and after visiting Katonga and Libonta, advanced to the point of confluence of the Liva with the Zambezi, where he determined upon ascending the former as far as the Portuguese possessions in the west. It was an undertaking, however, that required considerable preparation, so that it was necessary for him to return to Lignante. On the 11th of November he started again. He was accompanied by 27 Macalolos, and ascended the Liva Till, in the territory of the Balonda. Here he reached a spot where it received the waters of his tributary, the Macondo, 
It was the first time a white man had ever penetrated so far. Proceeding on their way, they arrived at the residence of Shinte, the most powerful of the chieftains of the Balonda, by whom they were well received, and having met with equal kindness from Katima, a ruler on the other side of Lemba, they encamped on the 20th of February, 1853, on the banks of Lake Dilolo. Here it was that the real difficulty commenced, the arduous travelling, the attacks on the natives, and their exorbitant demands, the conspiracies of his own attendants and their desertions, would soon have caused any one of less energy to abandon his enterprise. But David Livingstone was not a man to be daunted. Resolutely he pers persevered, and on the 4th of April reached the banks of the Coango, the stream that forms the frontier of the Portuguese possessions, and joined the Zaire on the north. Six days later he passed through Casangue. Here it was that Alves had seen him. On the 31st of May he arrived at St. Paul de Luanda, having traversed this continent in about two years. It was not long, however, before he was off again, following the banks of the Coanza, the river which was to bring such trying experiences to Dick Sands and his party. He reached the Lombe, and having met numbers of slave caravans on his way, again passed through Casangue, crossed the Coango, and reached the Zambezi at Kewawa. By the 8th of the following June he was again at Lake de Lolo, and descending the river he re-entered Linyante. Here he stayed till the 3rd of November, where he commenced his second great journey, which was to carry him completely across Africa, from west to east. After visiting the famed Victoria Falls, the intrepid explorer quitted the Zambezi and took a north-easterly route, the transit of the territory of the Patokas, a people brutalized by the inhalation of hemp, a 